0: Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas.
1: From our socially distanced virtual lunch table in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Christian Mader, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business, Acadiana style.
2: Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. Education was already on its way uh, to a new normal before the coronavirus was around. Uh, technology made sure of that. Virtual learning was in vogue at all levels. And of course the pandemic accelerated the changes already in place and that came with a lot of growing pains for students, for families, for educators and and for the companies that build the things that make learning in the modern era possible. So much of what we learned in 2020 is likely to stick around, including new teaching methods and new technologies for delivering them. The challenges aren't going anywhere either, and that's why they call it, you know, a new normal. Well, the new normal is precisely where my guests today are doing business. Um, On that note, after school programming is going through a sea change these days. Uh, Allison Brandon, founder of Wonderland Performing Arts, uh, can attest to that. Wonderland's bread and butter is classes in the arts with a specialty in stagecraft. And recently, Wonderland has switched to virtual programming, uh, connecting kids and parents with top flight talent uh, over video platforms. In 2020, Wonderland got into the learning pod business. They offer proctored spaces for kids to do their virtual learning uh, at regular school during the week with the added value of arts programming. Allison Brandon, welcome to Out to Lunch.
3: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
2: Brian McDonald is the CEO of School Mint, an education technology company that makes products to help st- schools attract, enroll, and retain students. Uh, school Mint was born on the West Coast in 2013 with the help from the renowned startup school Y Combinator. Uh, school Mint left Silicon Valley for Silicon Bayou in 2020, moving its headquarters to Lafayette after acquiring another ed tech firm founded here. Uh, school Mint products are in 17,000 schools across the country. Brian McDonald, welcome to Out to Lunch.
1: Thank you. Exciting to be here.
2: Brian, I, I want to start with your behavioral management systems, because this is like a totally new concept for me. I've been out of school for, for a long time, I guess. Uh, so when I read about Hero Ready and Hero Rise, I, I got to say, I got this sort of big brother kind of picture in my head. You know, These are technologies that help schools uh, set behavioral expectations, track tardiness, reward good behavior. And so I can imagine, you know, people hearing about this stuff for the first time and thinking, well, that seems like a cold way to deal with kids, right? Um, and maybe when broadly talking about edu- education technology, you know, I wonder, you know, if that's something that people often bring up, this idea that sort of, you know, infusing more technology into the school space is getting us away from the, 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 the student-teacher relationship. So I, I'd really like to start by asking you, what do you say to skeptical principal teachers about what you do and what you guys offer?
1: Well, honestly, I'd have to say you're the first person who's really taken that view of, uh, of what Hero's able to do. But, you know, if someone were to ask me about that, I would say it actually does the opposite. It really reinforces that relationship between the teacher and the student. I mean, when we were in school, and for many schools even today, the only time you get noticed for your behavior is when it's bad. You know, you've done something wrong. And that is the classic way students have really thought about that relationship with a teacher, but it's it's much deeper than that. And what the data tells us is that students in underserved populations are particularly susceptible to that feeling that they only get noticed when they've done something wrong. And so they learn to keep their heads down, they learn to disengage. And for teachers who are incredibly busy, you know they quickly start to see students in a particular way as well and often it's their own reinforcement of hey I saw you know this student do something bad and they they begin to associate that student in their behavior and what hero does is it provides a really simple way and we pride ourselves on helping the technology get out of the way Uh, But it lets the hero recognize when students have done something well. And it's very simple. It's super simple. Teachers are very busy. So, oh, Christian tied his shoes this morning. He gets a point. You know, Allison did her homework and the dog hadn't chewed it up. She gets a point. You You know, Sam said something nice about his neighbor. He gets a point. And it does two things. It shows the students that they get recognized when they do the right thing. And it, more importantly, I think, helps the teacher see the other side of those students, and it utterly transforms the classroom environment. And it turns it from uh, one, especially in a lot of cases, uh, where students do feel like they're they're not getting noticed, into one where they're excited about coming in, there's a positive environment, and it helps the teachers really very easily uh, transform the, the entire way a classroom feels.
2: Uh, Allison, you're not just a place for learning. Uh, Wonderland is a place for performing too. And uh, so I understand you guys are building a new theater to put the productions on, right? Um so it strikes me that that's a big investment at in, in any at any point in time, and of course, right now we're, you know, sort of now it seems like whatever the COVID new normal is is going to be around for a minute. And so I'm curious how that's impacted how you guys plan that for the future. I mean, are you having to sort of adjust what the theater looks like thinking, you know what? In the future, we're going to have to have people sitting six feet apart. Or are you just building this for the regular theater, theatrical environment?
3: Oh, my gosh. We, we've pivoted a thousand times. Um, I signed my lease right before uh, everything shut down. And um, I'm not a person that turns around and walks the other way once I make a commitment. So, um, you know, we've just we've kind of taken this time of uh, rest to reevaluate everything and get a lot of really good systems in place we are building a new facility that is complete with um, new studios and also a performance space and we're going into that with the mind frame that no it's not going to seat as many people as it could right away but we have virtual streaming ticketing options so that we can seat less people in the space and then also sell tickets virtually and that will that will always be there. Um, that's gonna always be an option. Um, even you know, when hopefully the world is healthy again and we can fit. All 166 seats in the space. Um, we we can still sell tickets to an aunt or an uncle who lives out of state, or or maybe is ill at home but still wants to watch their kid perform on stage. And we're looking forward to um, serving the community with adult theater programming uh, in the future as well. So we're excited about it. Um, yes, it's it's been a big challenge, but um, we're just we're super excited to bring this to Lafayette.
2: Yeah, you know, so I'm curious, um, you, you know, Brian. Like I kind of think about, you know, Allison's working kind of more in the after school space, but. I, you know, I understand, of course. You guys, Allison, correct me if I'm wrong here, right? You've brought these sort of pod lear- learning pods to town, right? Which is the idea that you have you have kids uh, who might be taking, you know, online classes, and they have a space where they can go. It's dedicated. They have a, a teacher that can proctor them and make sure they stay on task. So, I, of course, I understand school mint doesn't just do uh, the behavioral management stuff, but I'm sort of curious, like, how those kinds of technologies actually work, say, in a virtual environment, right? Where you're, you know, you still have you know, kids that are going to school and you're trying to create, you know, sort of gamify good behavior or, or however that works. Like, um, I mean, how does this stuff actually work out in an environment where kids are kind of scattered all over the place and they're not in one place anymore?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, we've seen the the enrollment side of our business actually growing. Um, so we are the leader in, in providing online enrollment solutions. And so, Um, It it could include after school programs, you know, where parents need to enroll their students in those programs. We support that entire process. We let the parents do it online, generally from their mobile devices. They can enroll, they can submit all the information they need. If there's a residency document they need to prove or a utility bill they need to upload. Um, And in the coronavirus environment, not very many people think walking down to a physical school or a program location and filling out a piece of paper face-to-face is is a great idea. And so we've really seen a lot of customers asking for help trying to take those processes
3: online.
2: Yeah, I mean, so it, it feels like in a lot of ways, you know, a lot of what we're all sort of dealing with here, and I think you could say this basically in any sector when it comes to the pandemic and however this is going to work out like a lot of the changes were already there I mean you know Allison Brian both of you I mean I kind of like to put that question to you I mean before all of this stuff started happening if I could put it so simply is that um what was what what kind of changes were you really looking out for right that that you felt like you had to be on top of to, to survive Allison I'd like to start with you
3: I feel like I've got shoved back into grad school, like learning all this technology. I mean, we were, you know, of course using Facebook and a a software system to enroll and everything like that. We have technology, but we're live theater artists. So everything that we did prior to the pandemic was was live. It was in person and it really wasn't online. So um, at the end of the the spring, well in March, um, we were looking toward our showcase in May and we had three spring shows. We had Charlotte's Web, Aladdin Kids, and an original show that our kids and teachers had written together. So we had four shows that we weren't going to be able to perform unless we figured out how to do them online so we actually um discovered we went through a lot of different technology and we discovered what worked and what didn't work you can't sing on zoom so we had to teach our kids basically how to make music videos from home where they recorded their voices on a separate device and then videoed themselves and lighting and camera angles all that stuff and we made movies um it was it was a huge challenge and then moving into summer you know we didn't do our summer camps um we were just focusing on the future and on this new facility and now that you know we're in the fall um, we're still pivoting we're slowly moving back into in-person our performers are about to perform outdoors at park international with masks on we've been rehearsing very carefully um small cast small groups of people um just making sure that we're following all those protocols Uh, and as far as the pods go um that was a temporary uh call to action. Uh, I felt like our community really was suffering and needed a place to send their kids. If uh, working parents, you know, couldn't stay at home with their kids and their kids needed help getting through their homework, we wanted to provide a safe place for them to come get their work done and also give them some creativity and some outlets for their, their minds.
2: (laughs) So so it kind of raises an interesting thought in my mind Brian, that you might have some vantage on because you're you're working with so many schools across the country, which is sort of like you know, how different um, regions, maybe different states, different, um, even different cities or or school districts are are really responding to this. Of course, you read the news, everybody's kind of coming some schools are completely back at it. Some are all virtual. But I mean, you know, I'd really like to hear, you know, more about like, those differences, you know, compared maybe regionally versus what what we're seeing locally.
1: Sure. So, I mean, we could talk for hours about what's happening in schools, but the short answer is there are definitely regional differences. And some of that is based on government guidelines uh, in those areas. And some of it's based on, you know, what's happening. Um, and some of that changes week to week. I know, I think we're all unfortunately watching, you know, the second or third, I don't know which count, uh, wave of, of COVID is increasing again. Um, and that is having an impact on some states more than others. Uh, but generally speaking on average there's been a pretty clear trend that the larger the school district the more likely it was to either completely close or to go into a hybrid model it's been the smaller school districts who have said you know what we're going to try and and make a return to class actually work and we're going to get the kids back in school and you know we're going to use the gym the cafeteria we're going to go on day off day to try to figure this out but we want the kids back in class Um, And that's a really, really clear pattern that we've seen, uh, not only across our 17, I I think we're actually closer to 18,000, but whatever it is, a large number of schools, right? That's a pattern that we've seen. Uh, And conversely, with the really large districts, uh, a lot more uh, reluctance to return to a full in-class schedule. And, And I would guess in this latest wave, we'll be the first to close down and send the kids completely home again.
2: You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mater. I'm talking to Brian McDonald of SchoolNet and Allison Brandon of Wonderland Performing Arts. I mean, Allison, you mentioned that this, you know, the pods was really, you know, something you felt was kind of a, you know, responded to a specific community need, but... It strikes me that like, look, let's kind of take coronavirus out of the equation. I mean it could still be a valuable thing, right? I mean, it you guys do it a little differently than I think maybe some organizations do, which you kind of have this extra not extra, but an additional component where you, you guys have a specialty in the arts. so kids come, you can you can wrap around, let's say, this other art. do you, do you see this as something that you would want to keep you know sort of part of your your playbook going forward?
3: You know, we do so many things uh, as it is. We do productions. We have classes for education. We're opening this new facility. Um, it's, uh, It's definitely something I would be interested in offering if it had a little bit more traction. What happened was we had a certain number of students sign up and then slowly but surely they started trickling back into going to school full time. So we just really didn't have the numbers we needed to sustain it and keep it going after this first nine weeks. Um, so, you know, it's it's, it's, a, it's a numbers game. Um, and and it just, we, we felt like we rose to that occasion and we were there for people um, in that time of need. And then slowly but surely, it just kind of trickled off. And uh, all the kids went back to school and maybe now we're seeing that that wasn't such a great idea. Um, but we just, we don't have the children here at the moment. And, and we, haven't, we haven't really heard from the, too many parents that they would be interested in continuing.
2: So that's kind of raises an interesting question, right, which is that we don't know by and large what the world's going to look like in six months, which I guess was true before uh, all of this. But, um, I mean, it does strike me that, like, look, we're all trying to make plans. I mean, so, so in, in your businesses, I mean... You know, especially in the school industry, right? Where you're, where we are seeing this sort of push and pull constantly, right? You know, okay, well, we're going to go hybrid, we're going to go all the way virtual, we're going to take the kids out of school, we're going to shut down schools, right? I mean, how do you bake that in to your strategic planning year to year, or even can you?
3: It's it's nearly impossible. You have to have basically like six plans at all times, and just be ready for any of them to be the one that you need to push go on, and and it's it's a really big challenge.
1: Yeah, Brian, what about y'all? Allison, I, I completely agree. And I, I wanna I wanna just give hats off to all the educators of the world who, if you think about them back in March when all this started, you know, many of them had less than a week and some of them had sort of twenty four hours to go from traditional classroom instruction, which educators have used for two thousand years, to a hybrid online model literally overnight, and they did it you know, they did it. And that's amazing to see um, that amount of transformation and how quickly people just rallied and rolled their sleeves up and said, we're going to go make this work. And by and large, they really did.
2: I mean, so speaking of big changes, I mean, Brian, you, you guys are, you know, newly headquartered here in Lafayette, right? I mean, um, and mm-hmm.
1: that's it, right, since July.
2: So, and, you know, one thing that, that I, I recall, and it seemed like to some extent, depending on which Which article you were reading, right? There was the beginning of the pandemic. This idea that people like your company, right, were were leaving big urban centers and moving to the the rest of the country, or you know, we've changed the nature of work. Um, But it seems like. Your decision to move here really had nothing to do with that, um, but I guess I'd want to talk a little bit about you know that transition, right? I mean, coming out of you know San Francisco, the heart of Silicon Valley, the idea like that's where all the investment is, and you come to a market like Lafayette, which like i like, was born and raised here, love this place, but I mean, it's not necessarily crawling with billionaires. I mean, what. what how is that transition well, been changed? Pre-
1: that so <laughs> I... <laughs> someday maybe, but well,
2: I mean, you know, it's interesting because, like, you know, I saw in, in, in the research, right? Like, you guys, this, of course, this was several years ago, but the, you know, that relationship with Y Combinator way back when, right? I mean, this idea that you know the startup culture, and you, you guys are a more mature company, obviously, but 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 you know, how is it transitioning from you know that business environment, right, to a smaller business environment like Lafayette, even though you guys, of course, still have a, a national profile.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And obviously we put a lot of thought into this. I, I'd probably say a couple of things. One is the, the trend that we've been seeing for a while of, you know, tech companies trying to look beyond Silicon Valley or, you know, Silicon Alley in New York um, ha, has been going on for a while. And I think what we saw with pushing everyone out of the offices has accelerated that in some ways, but it didn't create it. And for us, um, there was definitely an element of it's never easy to pick up a corporate headquarters. And, you know, we consolidated San Francisco, New York City, and Miami all into the Lafayette area. Uh, it, it's never really easy to do that. But when we're all sort of disrupted and nobody's really attached to an office anyway, that did make it a little bit easier to consider, you know, the just the mechanics of doing it. But the actuality of, you know, what's it been like to move to Lafayette uh, versus the Bay Area, you know, for tech companies in the Bay Area, the, the best part and the worst part is everybody else around you is a tech company as well. And so you find yourself competing for the same talent and there is more talent there, but there's also a lot more competition for that talent. And um, you know, what I what I like to say sometimes is if you're building you know, a self-driving car and there's only five people in the world who know how to do a certain thing. They're probably all, you know, within 50 miles of San Francisco. But when you're doing a lot of other things that don't necessarily require that level of specialization, there are lots and lots of really amazing people all around the country, including here in Lafayette. And it's a shame not to be able to take advantage of those folks in Lafayette. Uh, has a lot more to offer than s- sometimes people give it credit for. But there's an amazing pool of talent here. Some really, really great people who love the area and don't want to leave, but they want to have a career. And so we're excited to be able to tap into that.
2: So I, I do want to change things up a little bit. Um, so this is a segment I, I generally call the job I almost had, right? And the idea is that like, there's that inflection point they've all reached in our lives where like, you know, there's what the poem says, right? You know, I took the road less traveled by or whatever it is. So you, you could have, you hit the fork in the road, you could have gone left, you could have gone right, you chose whatever path it was and you ended up where you are. So, you know, I'm curious to hear from you guys. I mean, when you got to, what was that inflection point in your life and where else could you have gone, right? What other job would I be interviewing you about today had you chosen another world? So Allison, what what would that point in your life be for you?
3: (laughs) I have been so many things. I have been a cookie baker and decorator. I have made jewelry. I have worked at a cemetery and funeral plot planning corporation. I don't even know how I got to that. (laughs) That was a temp job and I didn't even know where I was going when I arrived that day. Um, So that was fun. And, uh, but, but mainly, um, I got back into teaching. I taught for a private dance studio, taught for Lafayette parish. And I just love, love, love teaching. I think the fork in the road moment for me was I was teaching full time for Lafayette parish, but I also had this little side class once a week and it was growing very quickly. And I made this decision to, um, not continue teaching full time and to just go head first into opening up my own studio. So, um, I guess I'd still be a full-time teacher had I not done that.
2: So you'd still you know? be in
1: education.
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Of laughs>
2: course.
1: yeah. Brian, what about you? Same story. I didn't make the jewelry, but I, I was a middle school math and science teacher and I was always fascinated with technology. And generally in schools, when you teach something like technology, it's called the specials, you know, some music band, you know, those are, those are special subjects. And so I was doing middle school math and science and technology, um, and and rose up from the classroom into district administration. But back in in 1998, I came across a tiny little startup company, with two and a half employees, that was really transforming a student information system and putting it on the web. And I just thought that was the coolest thing, and you know became one of the first handful of customers to to roll it out and realized like. I was getting more and more excited about that and evangelizing that than you know than what a, my day job was, and so I ended up you know becoming one of the first employees of that company, and you know launched my my trajectory in in ed tech. But had that not happened, uh, I'm sure I would be a district um, you know technology administrator.
2: I think that speaks to the idea I think most people get into education one way or another, right? Because this is what they want to do. I think rarely it seems to me that people like. Well, it's just a job. Like that's the thing that it was. There was a job availability, so I got into teaching. Right? I mean, like people doing, you know, radio hosting or something to that effect. Um, so, I mean, Allison, um, you know, the other thing that I think find really interesting about what you guys are doing, right, is is sort of this programming after-school programming specific around the arts, right? And 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 particularly like your, these larger-scale production. I think most people, you know, that's that's a thing that we've had in Lafayette for some time around you know, dance in particular, but you guys also do big big theater productions and things like that, right? And so mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm curious, like, you know, just in terms of the stage production, less about like the audience and what that deals right? I mean, I, I know you guys, um, you're getting kids to sing. You said earlier, right, you, tar- you, you can't sing on Zoom, which kind of blew my mind, I guess you're right. You know, I, so... Is that true?
3: Right, it cannot.
2: What happens? What What's wrong with seeing on Zoom? can do it Zoom? anywhere,
1: so Zoom or not Zoom doesn't really
3: matter. It, it, it gets really... <laughs> You didn't try it. No, we've tried. <laughs> um, it gets really choppy. There's a delay. Um, you, can't, you can't like play music and then have people sing along. There's, and I think Zoom is improving that tech, possibly. There's some apps out there that you can sort of use. But the, the best thing to do if you're going to like make a movie uh, for kids is to have them film it separately and then have them record their voices separately and send all that in as files and then you stack it. It's a lot. It's a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of extra work, but um, right, we love it. We love the kids. Um, I, I think you asked a few questions in there. Um,
2: it's the habit. <laughs> I'm trying to
3: I'm trying to backtrack. Can you so maybe
2: maybe the, maybe the simplest way to ask the question is like, I mean, what does it look like to stage a production in this way, right? I mean, I'm just imagining when I was in a high school play and you know, getting together and trying to make this this work, and then you know there are considerations of the stage itself. I mean, like, are you having to do the stage blocking where the kids can't come in from six feet apart? It's a great excuse not to have to do the stage kiss when you're like 12 is what I'm imagining. Um, (laughs) You know I mean? So what have have you had to do with that? We
3: we, we actually have tape on the floor. We have numbers. And basically if it's like your line, you have to like switch tape spots with someone come down stage, say your line, really use your body in a big way to tell the story. We're trying to convey that to the kids. Like these, these small motions are not going to cut it because we're performing outside in a very big area. So we're, we're teaching them about Greek theater and how, you know, in the original days of theater, uh, in these huge amphitheaters on the side of a mountain, you'd have thousands of people in the audience and your, your back row would be almost a mile away from you. And you have to use your body to tell your story. You can't rely on just little nuances, like an eyebrow lift. You have to really go big. And you know, in normal circumstances that would just be bad acting, but for this <laughs> we have to do it. Um so, you know, it's just it's just trying to find different techniques and ways to explain it to them and um they're just happy to be doing something. They'll take anything. <laughs> and so we're uh yeah, we're we're hitting a lot of chats. It's um at least we have our work in some capacity, which we've really missed.
2: So, so Brian, I got to think, you know, in, in, in anyone who's working in innovation is also looking at everything around them as, a, as an opportunity, right? I mean, is there something that you guys are seeing in terms of this space? It's like, okay, well, this is a this is a new opportunity for us to, to move into this side of ed tech that maybe we hadn't been in or, or to, to fill a gap that, you know, to an extent the pandemic has really like shined lights, right, into gaps that already existed. I mean, are you guys seeing new opportunities for innovation within your own company there?
1: All the time. And you know, we've always we've always tried to listen to customers and, and help them solve their problems. And so really a lot of our innovation is driven from listening to their requests. And, you know, one specific example are what I would label as uh, COVID health checks. So a lot of the schools that have returned to class, um, they literally have a form and every single day that a student is going to go back to class, they have to say, you know, are you feeling sick? Do you have a temperature? Has anybody in your family been, you know, diagnosed with uh, with coronavirus, et cetera, et cetera? Every day. Now, think about the management of that paperwork. And so, you know, we've been able to take a form and automate that, so that every night, you know, parents get that form and they can just fill it out on their phone, and their kids are ready to go to school. And we help the schools see, you know, which parents haven't filled that out yet. And it's just, it's trying to take a tremendous amount of paperwork off of their plates. And, and that's just one specific example of what we've been trying to do to help out uh, our customers.
2: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like both of you guys are, are in positions where you're, you're able to respond, at least, you know, adeptly, which is Im- important, right, in these times. Of course, that's important regardless. I mean, I think, you know, most people in business would recognize that adaptation mm-hmm. is 90% of the game. And so, uh, you know, it's great to hear that both of you guys are finding success with that. Um, Allison and Brian, it was great having you both on the show. Thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch Acadiana.
3: Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us.
2: My guests on Out to Lunch Acadiana today have been Allison Brandon of Wonderland Performing Arts and Brian McDonald of School Mint. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on KRBS, and you can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Allison and Brian and their companies by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast, which you can find anywhere you get podcasts and on our website. It'sAcadiana.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on It'sAcadiana.com and on our Out to Lunch Acadiana social media. These photos were taken by Jill Lafleur, and you can find more of her work at LafleurPhoto.com. Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for It'sAcadiana.com and KRBS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Molly Richard. Our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Christian Mader, editor of The Current, Lafayette's nonprofit source for local news. To find out what matters in Lafayette, check out thecurrentla.com and sign up for our newsletters. I'll see you here again next time
0: around our virtual lunch table for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Bye-bye. Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas, and by Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. The It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at mitchellforeman.com.